We're on the cusp of the 2020 MLB draft, and Emily Walden is here to discuss this year's draft class and more. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had the three O'Brews yet. It works great in a fantasy. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, June 10th. I'm Al Melkier, and I'm here not just with Derek Van Riper, but also with Emily Walden. Uh, she uh, writes for The Athletic, of course, and um, has long, long covered uh, the Miners and the Tigers and I, I think the Padres, although Emily, you can correct me on that. But uh, first of all, Emily, welcome to the show. And secondly, do I need to, do I need a retraction here? Uh, no retraction necessary. I, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. Like I was saying off air, huge fan of the way that you guys have put this show together and I've always found it to be so informative. And yes, I have done some Padres stuff, probably talked too much about Luis Patino as everybody knows. Um, but at the same time, I have been able to move more into a national prospect forum. So that's been really an incredible path to go down. And obviously it's produced a lot of fun content. Yeah, and a lot of great content, which we all greatly appreciate. Uh, and uh, we certainly want to discuss the uh, the draft, which starts today, Wednesday, um, first day of two days in a shortened five-round draft. Uh, so we certainly want to discuss that with you. And uh, also, you know, the latest developments, the Players Association has yet another proposal on the table. Uh, talk a little bit about that. And, um, you know, we'll, let's let's just get started here. So we'll start at the top in terms of the draft. Um, Tigers pick first and, of course, a, an organization you're extremely familiar with. Uh, I, I'm going to guess I know what the answer is, but who do you expect that they will choose with that first pick? I think the Tigers are going to go predictable and go with Spencer Torkelson um, out of Arizona State, purely because the team is in desperate need of some power back in the lineup. A lot of their really, really big impact bats have aged quite a bit. As we all know, Victor Martinez is no longer in the lineup. Um, Miguel Cabrera, God bless him, was starting off the year fairly promising in comparison to some of his health struggles in the past few seasons. But as we all know, Corona said, eh, no, I'm not really in the mood to watch him have a comeback season. So that, of course, got put on hold. But at the end of the day, they need to add some power back into that lineup. And I think with his profile, the fact that he's got a plus hit tool, he's got plus power with a projection of even going a bit higher. That's what they need to really get their offense going. And I think he's a great profile for that. Emily, if you had that pick, is Torkelson the player you'd choose or would you go a different direction? You know, for for the Tigers' rebuild direction, I think he does make sense. I know Austin Martin out of Vanderbilt, he was another one that a lot of people had been kind of throwing in as a possibility, and that's similar to what the Tigers did in the Casey Mize pick. There was talk that they would go with Joey Bart. Um, I think they sort of tried to kind of keep it a little bit vague just to keep people guessing. But, you know, Casey Mize ended up being the the man that they chose and for this type of a direction that the organization is going you want a solid bat you want a bat that has the college sort of foundation which shows he's not going to need as much 
time and as much attention as a younger high school about who's maybe less experienced. He's got that bigger school, um, just the experience that he's had at that level, I think has been really good. And the Tigers need a guy who can move fairly quickly if they want this rebuild to be a success. So, well, besides Torkelson, who else in this draft uh, are you really excited to see uh, get into a major league organization and, and watch them work their way up? Yeah, something I've done, which I'm sure you guys probably kind of nerd out to this a little bit, too, is I like to compare and contrast draft boards. Um, as we all know, drafting and the, the mock drafts, all of that stuff, it's purely off of gut. It's purely off of you know, reading up on what the teams need, what direction they think they'll go, and obviously what draft pick each team has. Um, and as far as the ones that I think are really interesting, they all seem to be the same top five across the board. You have Torkelson, you have Austin Martin, um, Asa Lacey, Emerson Hancock, and then Nick Gonzalez out of uh, New Mexico State. They really seem to be the same top five. So I think seeing that agreement on the, I want to say about four or five draft boards that I looked at, that shows you that those are pretty much a lock as far as who will go in those five rounds um, for the top selections. So I think it's pretty factual and we'll just have to see what direction uh, each team decides to go. Emily, there was a really interesting report from R.J. Anderson of CBS, a little bit troubling as well. I mean, uh, he's reported that there's a team with a top 10 pick in the first round who may actually draft a player they have no intention to sign. Does that seem plausible to you? And why would an organization actually do that with such an early draft pick, especially? Yeah, when I, I did hear a little bit of chatter about that and I honestly ask the same question because I think this this draft more than any other draft in recent years, if you don't want to completely blow it for your organization, you need to be strategic. There's such a smaller pool of players to be able to access, whereas you know, you'd have the 40 rounds before. There's such a change to that that if you're not trusting you know, your area guys, if you're not really setting down and weighing the importance of who these players are, for that five round availability, I really don't know what you're doing. Because to me, this is so much more stress, this is so much more pressure, because you have to know what guys really hold the most value, what direction is your club going. Like Detroit, they're in a rebuild. There's other teams around the league that are in the same position. You've got to trust your area guys, and I don't understand why you'd want to gamble in that regard, especially with that high of a pick to consider. It is uh, it is a head scratcher, so I'm glad to have some some confirmation or uh, <laughs> uh, some validation, I guess. Uh, you know, from from you, uh, you know, who spent so much time reporting uh, on the the miners and on these organizations. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that that's not going to be the case. Uh, it, in terms of when a, a season does uh, get started, if it gets started, um, still, you know, it seems like there's not going to be a minor league season. We have teams. Uh, supposedly that are uh, are reportedly going to have uh, taxi squads. But I think it's going to be very hard for prospects to really put in the kind of development time that they normally would. So in your work and in talking to prospects, um, have you heard anything in terms of how they plan to address that, uh, that loss of development time? Yeah, I know speaking with um, some of the, the roving roving instructors, um, some of the, the different coaches from around the minor league systems. I know a lot of them are trying to do their best to check in with the guys right now. 
Um, some of them have found access to larger facilities. Some towns have gotten a little bit more lax on the restrictions that really impacted a lot of the guys from getting in and being able to have access to equipment of any kind. And so I think that's helped a lot of the guys just sort of get back into some sense of a normal training schedule, even though, you know, let's be honest, who really can define normal anymore now <laughs> these days? It's, it doesn't seem to be an actual thing. Um, but I know that that has really helped. And the thing that I think was kind of unfortunate, and I won't call any organizations out on this, but the fact that multiple top-end prospects mentioned their team really hadn't done a very good job following up. And to me, if you're an organization, your guys are, you know, in Dallas, Texas, and Fort Lauderdale, and Kansas City, and, you know, all of these different areas, wouldn't you want to know that your investments are being taken care of? Wouldn't you want to know that they're, you know, staying focused and progressing? But I think because everything is so up in the air right now, it has sort of left teams to try and come up with a new game plan of tracking these guys. And at the end of the day, I'm not confident we're going to see a season for the minors. I know there's there's rumors about a possible expanded fall league um, that they could split between Arizona and Florida. But as of right now, you've got to get these guys on a field. And that's where the development happens. That's where they really get into that game situation, growth, um, the maturity of all of it. It's a huge factor for these guys. And so for them to be off the field, being in the gym is great, but you need to be in the game and on the field to really continue to mature as a player. Emily, I think the, the Tigers have a particularly difficult problem to solve this season. If there, if there is no minor league season until we get to the fall, you have Matt Manning and you have Casey Mize and you have Tarek Skubel and you have Alex Fajardo, among other players. This is a, an organization with a lot of young pitchers who are going to kind of make or break the organization's success in the next three to five years. So getting it right in 2020 for the sake of having them healthy and as effective as they can be in the future is critically important. Do you see a scenario in which those young pitchers or a few of those guys end up actually logging big league innings if there is no minor league season? You know, I would not be surprised if that happens, um, to be completely honest, just because I know how favorably the team does view uh, both of those or all of those guys, I should say. Specifically, the numbers that Tarek Skubal put up last year, I don't know if you guys saw those, but I just kind of went, oh, wait, what? Is that possible in the Eastern League? <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, just some of the most insane numbers I had seen from a double-A pitcher in that league specifically. It's a hitter's league. For people who don't know, the Eastern League is a hitter's league. And for him to come up a former Tommy John patient to come up and be that dominant and that healthy, I think made him the storyline of the season in that level. Everybody was just blown out of the water. And so for him to show the dominance he's shown, he's already hit a hundred miles an hour from the left side, which as you guys know, teams drool over lefties who can hit that velocity. They're just like, yes, give us all of that. And with Matt Manning, I think he's ready. I honestly, I expected Casey Mize, Matt Manning, and Tarek, possibly Fajardo, um, just because I know there were some health issues with him last year. So it wouldn't surprise me if the team sort of babied that a little bit, just to be careful. But they had at least a chance of seeing three to four of their top arms debut this year. So it wouldn't surprise me if Detroit 
kind of took a gamble on that because I know they see multiple guys ready and I think they'll take a chance on them. Well, you know, you asked if we were familiar with Scoobles numbers in the Eastern League. I know DVR is because it seems like every draft you've done DVR, um, you've taken him in the late rounds. So that's uh, Emily's news has got to be good news for you. Um, let, let's go to that um, Players Association proposal. Uh, the news of this came out on a Tuesday evening. Uh, they're proposing now an 89-game schedule, so coming down in terms of the number of games in the proposal, but still uh, sticking to uh, full salary, not uh, you know any sort of um, uh, fractional proration for, uh, for the players in this proposal. And the initial reports from the owners, not surprisingly, um, just really rejecting it out of hand. Um, so where do you stand now in terms of your, your expectations for a season? Do you think that the owners are just going to sit on this until they can just, um, impose a 50 game season by fiat or, or do you see some other possibilities still? One of my honestly biggest questions is I want to know if anybody's keeping a tally of how many proposals have been created and bounced back and forth. I was like, what well, is anybody tracking this? Because the amount of presented a new one. Oh, they presented a new one. It just, it's, that's dedication. <laughs> um, and as far as the season goes, you know, it's, I honestly, I don't know if I have an answer to any type of absolutes right now, just because whether they're able to come to an agreement sooner rather than later, the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking quickly. And I think that's why this is getting so tense and so stressful because we're about all-star break. I mean, off the top of my head, I think we're about at the all-star break now. And if they can make this somewhat manageable, I know the owners want some baseball. I know the players want to play. I mean, that's not a question in any of their minds. They all want to play. But you combine that with the tension of still having some virus concerns the ones who have families, especially, they're like, do I take this chance? Do I put myself out there? Should I try and be held back? There's so much still hanging right now that I don't know how soon this is going to be resolved, to be completely honest with you. And I know we kind of joked off air, is this going to be a positive or depressing episode? <laughs> <laughs> just with, with the way that, you know, everything's just been bouncing back and forth. And to be honest with you, I just want to see at least some some action, whether it's just televised and there are no fans in the stands. We just want to see some baseball played this year. And I think if you want to preserve the sport, if you want to bring back some of the fans that have been so burned out by this back and forth, you have to find a way to come together on this, or this could do some serious damage to the game. Yeah, no doubt about that. So when it's all said and done, simple yes or no for you, do you think there will be a 2020 Major League season in some form? Yes, I do. I do. I think that they will figure out a way to have some baseball played, whether it's you know an extended um, postseason, um, however they plan to put all that together in whatever locations that are agreed upon. I do think we will see some at the Major League level, for the minor league guys, I think the odds of that happening have pretty much sealed themselves. Well, uh, Emily, as uh, you know, we mentioned at the outset, uh, you've done great work uh, for the athletic, and I was also remiss not to mention also for Baseball America. 
And uh, one of your uh, recent pieces on The Athletic, uh, you co-authored with Eno Saris on the cuts from, uh, I guess now probably about a week and a half ago. Um, so I, I definitely recommend that for people to read. That is going to be our featured read today. Uh, I just wanted the chance to fail inside last week's mass minor league cuts by, uh, you know, and Emily. So um, <laughs> do check that out. And uh, Emily, I just really want to uh, thank you for uh for uh, taking the time to uh, come talk about uh, the many, many things uh, going on in, in the majors and the minors right now. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on again. Well, uh, absolutely our pleasure. And not only check out Emily's work, but check out her Twitter feed, which is always uh, very, very informative at uh, Emily C. Walden, W-A-L-D-O-N, Emily C. Walden on Twitter. So do uh, seek Emily out there as well. And that's going to be all. For this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15, for Emily Walden and for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier, and we'll be right back here on Thursday. 